the Why Watch That Talk. Well, we're saying goodbye. We're saying we're off the air. <laughs> so these fall finales say for the fall. <laughs> we have a handful of shows that we want to talk about that have said ta-ta, and they're off to their holiday break. But they will be back, don't you fret. Uh, and we will definitely be back right with them but first let's have the critic catch us up on the walking dead as it splits its season in half and returns back in february remember this is on amc we know that someone hugely important is no longer on the show (laughs) for now yeah 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 yeah, because that character is going to have movies. <laughs> yes, The Walking Dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of him, since the departure of Rick and the subsequent leap forward in time, all the remaining main characters are in different situations and positions. Some former leaders have left their posts, and some former followers are now leaders. Some characters have streaks and flecks of gray in their hair, while others have white hair. Old allegiances and friendships have changed for the worse, it seems. And the children, of course, are growing up and beginning to assert themselves, which is both good and bad. But here's the thing. These characters, for the most part, just aren't compelling enough to warrant this show's penchant for long, drawn-out exposition. I mean, get on with it. Oh, my. At this point, I'm even getting tired of the characters I like. I just don't understand why they can't consistently focus on what's most urgent in this story, which has always been the zombies and the villains, as long as they don't overstay their welcome. And obviously at the moment, that urgency lies with the new villains on the block called the Whisperers. So why do we have to wait so long to delve into who they are? For the sake of introducing a group of people who may or may not be trustworthy and who have been taken in in some shape or form by the protagonists? No, 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 no. We're beyond that kind of stuff with this show. I mean, sometimes teasing people can go too far. There's no reason to wait until the second half of the mid-season finale to fully introduce the Whisperers. And then you set Negan free in the midst of it. Oh, geez, that, you know what, Negan? (laughs) So I'll say this. In the last season of Fear the Walking Dead, my patience ran out and I stopped watching. And I'm getting the same feeling with this show and it's not for the first time. Uh-oh. You'd think that they would have immediately capitalized on the great send-off they gave Rick instead of going back to mostly unimportant and slow-footed drama spiced with a slow burn tease. I mean, the narrative's pace would frustrate even a zombie. <laughs> well, let's so, move. Oh, yeah, I'm I'll just say this. Yeah, just to wrap it up. I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not sure just how much longer I'm going to continue watching this. After all, I stopped watching the show toward the end of its first season, only to pick it up again sometime later with a challenging binge. So stopping it again and for good will be no problem. Oh boy, listen to those threats. <laughs> Let's move on to This Is Us, which we both ca- are caught up on. This is again on NBC. You know what this is. Yeah. Jeez Louisey peasy. We've got it's- all, yes, we, we've got Jack in Vietnam. We've got wow. uh, Sterling, uh, 
uh, no, I'm politician. sorry. What's what's his uh Randall. Yeah, Randall. Randall's got these bad wigs on in the future. I, you just can't keep up with this is us. Oh, now look, for this is us, the key is to bring urgency, immediacy to the relationships between and among the characters. When they do that, it's really good stuff. But when they don't, while it may not be bad, it just feels a bit empty. So I'm gonna review this show with that in mind, and the ref will help me out, starting with Kate and Toby. Hmm. I think that the pregnancy storyline is actually one of the weaker ones this season. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. Now, there was some urgency, especially in regard to Toby's mental health, but I don't think that this storyline overall has maintained a consistent level. Mm-mm. All right, next, let's talk about Kevin and Zoe. Okay. I think that Zoe is the best thing that's happened to Kevin, story-wise. Yes. She's enigmatic and intelligent, so he's always on his toes with her, and so are we. However, I do have to say that their trip to Vietnam didn't seem as impactful as it could have been until the bomb dropped in mid-season finale. It felt like they... It felt like they sent Kevin to Vietnam just for that purpose, which is fine, but they could have done a little more, I think. Well, and she dropped a bomb, bomb too. She told them, told her why she don't like to see her dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Yeah. Okay. So even still, uh, this storyline seems to be on the perfect track for the show. I just hope they don't squander it when it returns in January. Mm. Now, let's stay with Vietnam and talk about Kevin's father, Jack. Look, Jack is one of my favorite characters. Don't you think, Raph? Oh, Jack is one of my favorite characters, period. I just love Jack. Yeah. And the way that they've told the story of his experiences with the war and his brother has been one of the highlights of this season so far. There's certainly an immediacy to this storyline, and it's not only added even more layers to who Jack is, but also to his relationship with Rebecca. Speaking of whom, it was nice to see her with Miguel and his family for the first time. Oh, hey, Miguel said that straight, didn't he? Did he? Now, that one scene and the build-up to it did an effective job of helping us understand why Rebecca and Miguel married after Jack's death, mm-hmm. along with providing much-needed layers to Miguel as a character. Yes. Speaking of layers, I'm going to end it with Randall, Beth, and their daughters. Oh. Well. Now, look, when it comes to Randall as a politician, I just find most of that stuff okay. Hmm. In comparison to his other storylines, it's not quite as compelling. However. I agree. You agree with that? Okay. However, what it has led to is the other bomb that was dropped in our heads in the mid-season finale. In fact, there were two bombs dropped along with a mini bomb. (laughs) In season two, Deja came into the storyline and ruled and now in season three, it's time for Tess to have her say. Shoot. And I just have to say that the way they handled Tess's revelation to her parents is the epitome of what this show can do mm. when it brings urgency to the relationships. I mean, these actors are just waiting for the good stuff. Yeah, boy. And then the great thing is they didn't stop there. They used that as an opportunity for us to see the future, as you mentioned for Randall and Beth in a completely different light, and it doesn't look good. Well, yeah. So yeah, when they return on January 15th, I'm gonna tell you this. They better not play around with this storyline. Give us the goods. 
<laughs> well, you know what? Here's the thing. This is us is definitely the, what makes this show so entertaining is that you have such strong characters basically across the board and they really dive into each of those different storylines. Now, what I do have to say specifically about what we just talked about, I am a little disappointed at the last bomb dropped. Again, we won't give it away. But it does have something to do with, uh, you know, Beth and Randall. Yeah. And I'm just like, leave that one alone. Mm. Let's just leave it alone. Because now we're trying. Because to get to the point where they got to, that one little, you know, if I say, you know, such and such, then you have to do it. No? Okay, so you're sleeping on the couch? Get out of here. It's just too much. Yeah. We leap forward to a future that I think is a red herring, to be honest with you, because nothing was set in stone. I think it's just a red herring. Absolutely. So that's what I have to say about This Is Us. Leave them alone. (laughs) Everybody else has enough problems. (laughs) Beth alone. (laughs) Randall alone. (laughs) Moving on. New Amsterdam on NBC. Alone. Let us have something. I was waiting for your reaction to that. Gosh, I mean, for real. Let us have something. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry to go off like that, but mm. I want them to hear me. Yeah. Moving on to New Amsterdam. On <laughs> <laughs> now, remember, we are back to the 22 episode structure. Yeah. So this is going to be a drama. A drama. It's going to be a procedural of some sort. It's going to be an answer. It's going to. It's NBC's new medical, um, medical drama. Yeah. The question is, is it the critics' new medical drama? <laughs> well, after decades of medical dramas on TV, it's difficult to come up with new cases for doctor characters to contend with. And New Amsterdam doesn't disprove that. So while every now and then they add the teeniest hint of excitement to the doctor-patient interactions, which of course can be far-fetched, the true test for this show is whether they can make you care about the central characters. And here's where those characters stand right now before the show returns on January 8th. Dr. Max Goodwin, who's the medical director of the hospital, has been diagnosed with cancer. Oh, jeez. But he wants to be strong enough and lucid enough to run the hospital and care for his pregnant wife. So he decides, against the wishes of star oncologist Dr. Helen Sharp, to enter a trial for an experimental treatment. Now, this should come as no surprise because Dr. Max never does anything in a straightforward manner. And his spirit is what this show hopes will draw viewers in. Mm-hmm. But sometimes things are risky for a reason. Now, in regard to Dr. Helen, she's struggling with her desire to have a child and the clock is ticking. But she's also preoccupied by the memory of her former fiance who passed away years ago. It's a sticky situation for her, to say the least, but there might be a new love on the horizon. All right, now, there's also the head of neurology, Dr. Vijay Kapoor. And this is a man who's not afraid to speak his mind, except for when he gets tripped up whenever he talks to a certain female employee at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Plus, on a more serious note, he struggles to communicate with his son who's in recovery from drug addiction. All right, 
Moving on to the head of psychiatry, Dr. Iggy Throne. Dr. Iggy has family troubles, of course, and he always has his patient's best interests at heart, sometimes overly so, of course. And that leaves the head of cardiology and emergency medicine, or the heads of them, I should say, Dr. Floyd Reynolds and Dr. Lauren Bloom. So these two doctors had a fling going on until it fizzled. And then Dr. Lauren introduced Dr. Floyd to a wonderful woman for him to date. Yes! And then Dr. Floyd and this wonderful woman named Evie, who also works at the hospital, hit it off. Hmm. Oh boy. So here's the question. Is it really over between Dr. Floyd and Dr. Lauren? At least that's what Evie wants to know. But that's not the only wrinkle because Dr. Lauren's been taking on too many shifts in order to avoid facing her family for some reason. And this has caused her to resort to popping pills to keep up. Oh no. Mm. Now here's the thing. While all of that might sound good and while the cast is a likable bunch, this show's execution is just too soft for the most part in the very moments when it shouldn't be. What they need to do is stop pretending to be cutting edge and all and just get on with it. Go all the way. Or try this. Use those drum riffs that tell us that something major is going on even more. Otherwise, why not just dispense with all the medical stuff and go full on drama? Because it's a medical drama. New Amsterdam is simply slightly better than mediocre, I guess. Oh, well, let's go to another medical drama that we know is not mediocre with its 15 one five seasons on ABC. <laughs> yes, we are talking about Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> wow. The question is, is Grey's taking a well-deserved break or does she just need to go in the corner and sit down somewhere and, and, and bring back the fire when she comes back? <laughs> well, in the fall finale of the one millionth season of Grey's Anatomy, that's what it is, <laughs> uh, a windstorm is wreaking havoc across Seattle and Gray Sloan Memorial is the only hospital that's open for business. Oh, okay. Now, this very real storm has led to a figurative storm as well. A figurative storm of emotions, of course. And here are the storylines in this emotional stew. Dr. Meredith Gray is still trying to avoid finding love again, but her patient and matchmaker, Cece, won't take no for an answer. Cece tells Meredith that she'll haunt her from her grave if Meredith doesn't take life and love by the hordes. And you know what? Meredith begins to do just that. But the question is, who will be the recipient? The charming Dr. Link or the charming Dr. DeLuca? How about no doctors? Well, also, Meredith has been chosen as one of the doctors tasked with taking care of Dr. Catherine Fox, who's Dr. Richard Weber's wife and Dr. Jackson Avery's mother. Now, Catherine has a life-threatening disease, so she might not make it. But how will that affect Richard, who's still reeling and lashing out after the death of his sponsor? And how will that affect Jackson, who disappeared on his girlfriend and Meredith's sister, Dr. Maggie Pierce, only to return to face an uncertain future with her? And they're not the only ones. It has taken Dr. Teddy Altman eight episodes to finally tell Dr. Owen Hunt that she's pregnant with his baby. Huh. What? 
So how will that affect his confusing relationship with Dr. Amelia Shepard, with whom he's attempting to raise an adopted infant and a drug-addicted teenager? I can't even. And speaking of confusing relationships, Dr. Levi Schmidt and Dr. Nico Kim looked like they were going to hit it off, only to run into a brick wall after they kissed in an elevator, which led to Levi telling Nico that he'd never kissed a man or maybe anyone else before. Now, this then led to Nico saying, sorry, but I'm not going to hold your hand through the coming out process. Okay. But remember, there's a storm outside, so anything's possible. And since anything's possible, Dr. Miranda Bailey can't go to sleep at night and can't stay calm during the day because her husband, Ben, who used to be Dr. Ben Warren, worries her to death because he continues to work as a firefighter on that spinoff show. Now, Miranda thought that taking a sabbatical from her job as chief of surgery and from Ben himself would do her some good, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So what else can she do? She has heart disease, remember? Oh my gosh. And this leaves us with the final major storyline, the nascent marriage of Dr. Joe and Dr. Alex Karev. Now these newlyweds haven't had much time to enjoy each other's company, but because of the storm, the two of them now have a chance to catch up with each other for once. And thankfully it's nothing but good stuff. As long as Alex remembers to mail their marriage license, that is. But here's the cliffhanger question after episode eight. Exactly what's going to be the aftermath of this terrible storm? Well, I'll tell you this. For many of these characters, it doesn't look good. And so Grey's Anatomy takes a break on a consistent note. For some reason, this shows writers and actors understand how to craft situations that seem important, even when they may not be so serious on paper. When you watch this show, you know that these characters are invested in whatever's going on. So unlike some of the other medical shows now on the air, this dinosaur of a show continues to balance medical cases, mushy soap opera, drama, comedy, and everything in between with relative ease and necessary urgency. Ooh, I like you dinosaurs. <laughs> well, you heard it here. These fall finales have left us wanting more for the most part. Mm. Whereas a couple maybe hmm. <laughs> takes a well-deserved holiday, shall we say. <laughs>